If you have your Bible, you can turn it to Romans 5. There's three short verses that we're going to deal with this morning. Um, as Jeff has already mentioned, uh, in the middle of our story series, Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration, uh, every week so far we've, had, we've done a, a biblical character or one of the members of, of North Church as the kind of the subject matter today is, is different. It's Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary in the 1800s to uh, Burma. And we're going to tell his story this morning. And, and also, one other difference is that every, every other sermon, every other story we've done, we, we've thought and talked about um, sin or hardship in someone's life that they've kind of brought upon themselves um, through lack of faith, uh, something like that. Um, but the hardship and difficulty that's present, for the most part, in Judson's life is... Uh, just completely circumstantial, uh, not of his own doing. And uh, so one of the things that I want to, us to kind of think through this morning is what do, what do we do with that kind of suffering um, of, of all the stories that we've told biblically? We've talked about David and we've talked about uh, his, his issue and, 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 and we, we've talked about all the, all the different things that, that sin has happened that, to cause problems, but for Judson, it was uh, a little bit different. Um, Adoniram Judson, by the way, was the first foreign missionary from the United States. Uh, I found that out this week. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the very first foreign missionary to ever leave the United States to go overseas to uh, spread the gospel was Adoniram Judson um, that we know of. There could have been others. Um, but let's highlight his story. And as we do, I want us to, to think through this idea that there's um, uh, so much doubt and endurance and hope that's present in his story. Um, and because this is, this is what's, what's interesting, um, as we were reading that last song, Cooper, would you throw up the, the last verse of, of that last song because I, like I want to juxtapose where we're going here um, as I'm singing that what I'm thinking to myself is, is you're a liar um, I will not fear that's just not true for me and, and likely it's not true for you and it wasn't true for Adoniram Judson the, the fact of the matter is God will come through always but we're somehow incapable of, of connecting that knowledge to what we actually do and what we actually will allow to cause fear in us. I'm sitting there singing always, and I'm so happy about it. And, and the, the word there is special to my heart because it's azer, and, and it's God, the Hebrew word is, is azer, and, and God calls Men, God calls your wife Azer. The only other time that's not applying to, to, to God is when it's applying to your wife. And in, in this song, like, I, I got here this morning, and, and this is the song that Kelly and, and Jeff were rehearsing. And, and they're, they're saying this word always. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. And then always. And then I'm, this morning, sitting here listening to that, and I'm, I'm singing, I will not fear. And I'm just like, you liar. Um... But I believe 
all of the stories of Scripture and the story that God is telling you and the story that God is going to tell us this morning through the life of Adoniram Judson is you are, in fact, a liar and you will fear, but God will come through always. Like, think about always. It's a simple word, right? But it's so, so profound. Always. Like, think about what is giving you stress today? Write it down. Consider it. And then dash always. Seriously, it's... God is so good. But the beautiful part about the fact that, that we're liars is always. And Adoniram Judson's story highlights that. Um, so turn to, to Romans 5, and, and let's look at these three short verses. So we're going to do it quickly, um, and then get into to hearing his story. Um, it says in verse 3, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, we are excited and filled with joy because of suffering that's in our life. And that sounds backwards to our psyches, our, our, the way we think. We are excited because of suffering. But if, if we properly perceive suffering and what it produces in us, it's of immense value that, that cannot be, it cannot be evaluated. So we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance in us. So think of something that gives you stress, and God's purpose is to allow that thing to produce endurance in you. And then that endurance, once it materializes, it produces character in you, and then that character produces hope. And hope is a, hope is a big word, a, a vital word for us as we walk through our lives. Hope does not put us to shame. Um, thought a lot about hope and thought a lot about shame this week. And here's the best illustration I can come up with for shame and what this is talking about. Um, so my, my son Cooper is a baseball player. He loves baseball. And uh, from time to time, he strikes out. And from time to time, he strikes out on a pitch that he doesn't think was a strike and the umpire thinks it was a strike. And he drops his bat and almost always... In that setting, he looks at me, and he's looking for, for help from me. He's looking, I don't know exactly what he's looking, but he looks straight at me. For the most part, I'm coaching first base, and he's looking straight at me like, Dad, help, save me. Tell this umpire he's wrong. Make it a ball. Figure something out. And, and I can see all of that, all those thoughts and emotions running through him, but most of all, I think I'm perceiving shame in him. He's ashamed at, at, at striking out. But we all strike out. But the, the thing that, 
that struck me this week when thinking about shame and thinking about Cooper taking a third strike is this, is that everybody on the, baseball is, is a weird sport in that everyone that's watching the game is watching one person. So the eyes of all the fans and all the players on both teams and the coaches and everyone, like, watch the baseball, watch the Cardinals this afternoon, and everyone is paying attention to, the, to what one person does. And all these, these fans that are wearing the jerseys of the batter and, and the players, they're looking at this guy, hoping that he comes through. And the worst is when that person strikes out, looking to end a game. That's, and, and you can see, like, go, for those of you who, 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 have, who have kids that are playing Little League Baseball, watch them when they strike out, but watch the kid who strikes out to end the game. And they're, I failed my team, we're done, we lost because of me, and the shoulders slump, and there's this shame that everyone who was counting on me now has been let down, has been discouraged. There's a real sense of loss in them and and their shoulder slump. And that's the picture that I get because the shame is dragging the bat, shoulder slumped, walking back to the dugout. But what Adoniram Judson's life and Romans 5 is speaking to you is the hope that God produces in you through your doubts, through your fears, through all of that, that hope will never put you to shame. It's incapable of leaving you as the little boy striking out, walking back to the dugout, ashamed that failure has happened. And when we understand that, we can sing and try to convince ourselves, I will not fear. Yes, you will, but hope will endure, and hope will not put you to shame. That that is incredible news. And when suffering enters your life, the end of it is a more complete and full knowledge of hope. And what does hope do? It doesn't put you to shame. Always. But that verse isn't finished. It doesn't put you to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Think about the, the, the phrasing that Paul uses there. God's love has been poured out into your, into your heart. By the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured out into your heart. What have you got to be afraid of? What have you got to fear? Hope doesn't put us to shame. Adoniram Judson was born in Malden, Massachusetts on August the 9th, 1788. He graduated from Brown University as valedictorian at the age of 19. Grew up in a Christian home, and during his time at Brown University, he bumped into and became close, great friends, and was even mentored by a guy named Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was a deist, and a deist simply means that 
I acknowledge that there is a God, but I, I do not acknowledge the miraculous. You follow? So there's a God, but he's completely disengaged with us, and there's, there's no miraculous that's happened. So you, you've got to completely dismiss Scripture. It's fallacy if you're a deist. Um, because the virgin birth can't happen. The resurrection can't happen. All the miracles that, that Scripture talks about can't happen. So we've, Jacob Eames dismissed the God of Scripture. And as a result of Judson giving himself over to the teaching and philosophy that he was taught at Brown University and by Jacob Eames, he gave away his faith. I want to read a, a short little passage uh, written by um, J.D. Greer, a short blog post about Judson. He says, Judson was raised in a Christian home, but when he went off to college at Brown University, he was lured away from the Christian faith by a fellow student and close friend, a young man named Jacob Eames. Eames was a philosopher who rejected all revealed religion, including the Bible. Eames ridiculed the God of the Bible, and under Eames' assault, Judson's already fragile faith crumbled. While in New York, okay, so let me parenthetically insert here. Judson told his parents, I'm done with faith. I'm done with you. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to study to be a playwright. I'm going to write plays and be in the theater. Uh, so while in New York, just after college, after he'd abandoned his faith, Judson found little fulfillment as a playwright and quickly, quickly grew disillusioned. But God was beginning to work in his heart. One night, while traveling through a small village, he spent the night at a local inn. The only available room was next to a man who was dying. All night, the man groaned and cried out in desperation. Judson was so tormented by the despair in the man's cries that he could not sleep. Judson began to wonder, is this man prepared for death? That's all that really matters now. And then he thought, am I ready for death? His philosophy had taught him that death was nothing, simply a door into an empty pit. But that brought him little comfort now, listening to the man that was actually dying. At the same time, he could hear in the back of his mind the voice of his friend Jacob Eames mocking him. Really, Judson, you're this weak? You are really the valedictorian of Brown University, spooked by a little superstitious religion? Judson lay there, toggling between fear and shame for that fear. But still, those groans were real. The voice eventually stopped, and the next morning, as sunlight filled Judson's room, the sense of despair lifted, and Judson felt ashamed for having given in to such weakness the night before. He got dressed, went downstairs, and asked the front desk about the man in the adjoining room. He is dead, was the simple reply. Judson politely asked, do you know who he was? Oh, yes. The young man is from a college in Providence. His name was Jacob Eames. Um, so the guy who had caused him to lose his faith died next to him and caused him all these inner turmoil wrestlings. And then it says, Judson could hardly move. He didn't leave that in for hours. He later reflected on the moment writing this. Lost. In death, Jacob Eames was lost. Utterly, irrevocably Lost. Lost to his friends, to the world, to the future. Lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air. 
If Eames' own views were true, neither his life or his death had any meaning. But suppose Eames had been mistaken. Suppose the scriptures were literally true and a personal God real. For that, hell should open in that country inn and snatch Jacob Eames, my dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not be coincidence. Um, Soon after that event, Judson gave himself back to to God and became a Christian. And soon after that, he boarded a plane in, or not boarded a plane, he boarded a ship. We're 1812 here, folks. The rights were not alive yet. Uh, Judson married his first wife in February of 1812, and they were bound for a ship for India 12 days later. Judson would not return to the United States for 33 years after that day and never see his parents or siblings again. Uh, 18, eight years into their mission, mostly fruitless mission, where it was mostly uh, education work for Eames to learn the language and begin to, to write a dictionary, which would prove to be really important later. Um, eight almost fruitless years, his wife, Anne, was really sick, and her only chance of survival was to go back home. So she went back home by herself, and for a year and a half, she was in the States fundraising, and she wrote a book, and gathering support, and gathering uh, ideas and thoughts so that people could understand the work that was being done in, in Burma. Without that year and a half of sickness, a lot of the stuff that happened for Judson would never have happened. Um, she comes back, returns to the mission field December 5th of 1823, and... Uh, Around that time, Anne and Adoniram moved from Rangoon, Burma, to Ava, which was a capital. It was a risky move because Burma uh, was, was not open to missionaries. They were very closed, and they had a, a despotic em- emperor, and, and he was uh, very aggressive towards Christians and especially Christian missionaries. During the move, Anne was pregnant with their first baby, and that baby died stillborn in the womb on the ship from uh, Rangoon to Ava. And soon after they arrived in Ava, she got pregnant again uh, and gave birth to uh, Roger Judson. And that baby died at 17 months old. So, um, and we're now about nine years into a fruitless mission work. No conversions, no real success that's happened the only thing that's really happened is, is a great illness overtook his wife, almost took her life, and two children have died. Um, in 1824, May of 1824, the British invaded Rangoon, and as a result, all of the Westerners in the area, all of the, the Westerners that were in Rangoon were considered to be spies and thrown into prison. He was one of them. And so he spent uh, 17 months in a prison. Uh, during that 17 months, his wife got pregnant uh, just prior to that, 17 months, his wife got pregnant. And so he uh, spent this time in prison, 17 months. Uh, let me tell you how he, how he spent his nights. They, uh, they shackled his, his feet about uh, two feet apart, and that's how he spent 24-7. And then at night, they would run a bamboo pole through those shackles and lift them up into the air so that he was upside down. And he would rest on this part of his neck, his back. Uh, right, right, kind of across the, the collarbone. He would rest there. So the only part of his body that was touching the ground was that just little space there on his neck because his feet were lifted up. 17 months. 
17 months. What, what were you doing 17 months ago? That's a long time. Every single night, Judson's feet go up in the air and his, his neck rests on the ground. During the day, nearly as bad, the only food that they got was intentionally rancid so that it would give them disease so that they would be weak and maybe even die. Judson didn't die, but he was extremely weak. His wife, Anne, would walk two miles every day to this jail to plead to the jailers to let him go. And at one point, she stopped coming around, stopped, stopped showing up, and Judson got, got really scared because the baby, he'd already lost two children, and now she's about to give birth. And it turns out she had given birth, but she herself was so sick, she was giving all of her food to the jailers as bribes to try and get her husband out of prison so she didn't have any food to eat. And she was so weak and frail after the baby was born that her milk dried up. And she would spend her nights in the town begging pregnant women or just women who had just given birth to nurse her baby because she couldn't give her baby any food. And every night, that's her husband, feet in the air. She's begging for people to, to feed her baby. Um, about... Uh, on November 24th, or November 4th, 1825, Judson was suddenly released from prison because the Burmese government needed a translator, and he was the only one who had a great handle of the Burmese language and the English language so they could translate their negotiations with the Britons who had invaded them. On October 24th, 1926, 11, he spent 17 months in prison, 11 months out of prison with his wife and his child. Uh, 11 months after he was let out of prison, uh, his wife, Anne, passed away. Six months later, Maria, the child that was born while he was in prison, passed away. So let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. Here's, here's Judson's life. I love you, Jesus. I don't love you, Jesus. That day in that hotel room, now I'm going to go give my life to mission Almost 10 years later, the fruit that he's sent there is a, a corrupt government using him and been 17 months in prison and three dead children and a dead wife. This is his story. Do you think always, do you think Romans 5 was in his mind? John Piper said this about this season in his life. The psychological effects of these losses were devastating. Self-doubt overtook his mind, and he wondered if he had become a missionary for ambition and fame and not humility and self-denying love. This is the process that, that Judson is having here. Right after his, his baby died, he gave away all of his wealth, which was $6,000, and all of his books and all of his commendations and everything that, every possession that he had, he gave it away, and he went out into the jungle of Burma and built a hut and lived there for two years alone in complete seclusion. Um, 1830, Judson began to climb out of his darkness, and in 1831, there was a great revival of, of interest in spiritual matters churches were beginning to start from the work that he'd previously done. Again, most of his work that he'd done prior to this was, was language. He had written a Burmese to English dictionary so that other missionaries could come and actually communicate with the people. He had begun to work on a, a Burmese translated Old Testament. And those two tools that were the only fruit of his mission work up until this time were being used. And now 
churches were being formed, conversions were being made, and God was beginning to, to work, and Judson had no idea any of it was even happening because he's spending these two years in seclusion in the jungle. Uh, on April 10th, 1834, he married again a missionary widow named Sarah Boardman, and Sarah and Adonim would have eight children together, and only three of those eight would survive childhood, would be, go on to be adults. So now he's got, what is that, eight children who never made it to adulthood and his second wife. In 1845, after 11 years of marriage to Sarah, she grew ill, and they both set sail for America. This was Adoniram's first trip back to the United States in 33 years. And he was returning home for the sake of the health of his wife. Sarah would die at sea. While back in the States, Judson fell in love for a third time, this time to Emily Chubbuck. And the two were married on June 2nd, 1846. And they arrived in Burma in November, just a few months later that same year. And most writings of, that we have from Judson say that these were the happiest years of his life. Um, but on April the 15th, 1850, after less than four years of marriage to Emily, Adoniram got sick and he boarded a, a ship to go to France to get medical attention and he died at sea. And it wasn't a, a mission ship, it was just a ship that he had hitched a ride to and they didn't know who he was. They put him in a casket and, and dumped his casket at sea in the middle of the ocean on the way from Burma to France. That's where Judson's body lies today. But let me tell you the, the legacy of this man. Um, more than 3,700 churches in Burma trace their roots to this guy's work. Think about that. 3,700 churches trace their roots without an iron Judson don't exist. And, and think of the atrocity that this man had to wrestle with. 3,700 churches. And not just that, but this idea of translating a language into a different language so that people can, can engage them from a missionary standpoint. So the mission work that, that you see throughout the globe where there is translation that happens so that a missionary can communicate with the natives, that idea, that concept was born in as in the work that he did. So modern-day mission work sees Judson as its father. He wrote an, an English to Burmese dictionary, and he wrote the, the entire Bible translated in, into Burmese. And here's that, that whole story of Judson's life and mission and, and hardship in my mind, tells us two things. Don't, don't look so much at, at, the, at the tangible fruit that you see happening in your life and in, in the mission that God has given to you because it's so much bigger than that. Most of these churches that Judson, that trace their roots back to Judson, he never attended or never had a, even an idea that that existed. But this is the legacy that he has. And, and imagine, like, Go back to, put your, your mind in, in the place of, of Judson in the jungle, two years, 
wondering if there was a God, wondering if there is a God. It, during, during that time, Judson said this, I believe in God, but I find him not. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful thought. I believe in God, but I find him not. And, and imagine, like, think of losing children, losing wives, and seeing no fruit, but trusting God, believing that hope does not put you to shame. Because, think of the, the shame that Judson had to feel in that jungle. I wasted the life of me and my bride. If we'd have stayed home, my kids probably are alive today. My wife is alive today. And I've wasted this time out here. Shame had to be real to him. Doubt had to be real to him. But it's in that doubt and in that shame that God shows up and proclaims. We can we can say hope does not put me to shame, but you, you think that, that Judson understands that more than, than we do? You think that the suffering-producing endurance and the endurance-producing character and the character-producing hope that, that happened inside of his life, that's, that's real. And the same God that poured out his love into Judson through the Holy Spirit is that same God that pours out his love into us through the Holy Spirit so that we can understand that hope can never put us to shame. It's so big for us. And the life of Adoniram Judson is not just a, a passing thing. It's, it's the truth of God personified. I want to close reading a familiar passage from Hebrews 12, but I want you to think about the story of Adoniram Judson as you hear this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. God, I thank you for the story of Adoniram Judson, but I thank you more for the story of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I, I pray, God, I, I pray that you would connect our hearts with, with suffering and connect our hearts with endurance and allow us to run this race that you've given us with endurance because of the strength of those who have gone before us and because of the strength of your son, Jesus. We endure 
And that endurance produces your hope inside of us. And that hope casts out the fear, the unknown, the uncertainty, the doubt. God, guide our minds, guide our thoughts, change us, allow us to see this great cloud of witnesses that you've brought in front of us and, and taught us and, sh- and you've, you've shown us your, what faith is supposed to be. You've shown us your faithfulness. God, allow us to continue to live our life on mission, making disciples, being discipled, growing more like you, trusting you, Father. You are a good and holy God. And even when life is hard, you are good. Because you are giving us the wonderful gift of hope that is not capable of putting us to shame or disappointing us or hurting us or leaving us in want. Because one day we will be in your presence knowing you fully and being fully known, free from the bonds of sin and death and pain and heartache and difficulty, only experiencing your presence. God, allow the truth of that day that is to come to be a real hope in our lives. Allow that hope to be an anchor for our soul. God, you are good. Thank you for the stories that you tell in our lives that draw our mind and our attention and our affection towards you. Thank you for the truth that hope does not put us to shame. God, allow those, that idea, that concept to Stay in our brains. Your hope cannot and does not put us to shame. In Christ's name.